This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate loses and love wins. And we are your election information station, bringing you uh, direct conversations with candidates for elected office and talking about the issues. You can go to KBLA1580.com. Right on the landing page there, you will find the election uh, information station with all of the candidates that we've talked to, so you can listen again or listen for the first time as you make your decisions. We're being joined now by an L.A. Superior Court judge. She started her career career uh, working as a legal secretary, went on to attend community college, UC Irvine, um, then got her J.D. from Western State University, which she attended at night and on the weekends. Um, she worked in the L.A. County D.A.'s office as a law clerk while she was in law school. Then she started as a deputy D.A., where she uh, had a successful career uh, for uh, close to 28 years and went on to be elected a superior court judge. Uh, now she's running to be the district attorney for all of L.A. County. Uh, the Honorable Judge Deborah Archuleta joins us. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for having me this morning. I hope you made it safely into the studio. Yeah, yeah, I know it's it's coming down out there, and uh, appreciate your coming on, but uh, I'm glad everyone's keeping it safe. Yes, thank you for that. I'm so uh, proud and thrilled to be here with you this morning. Well, appreciate your um, joining us, and it seems like after 28 years in the district attorney's office as a prosecutor and seven years on the bench, um, some folks with it, you know, I'll ride this out on the bench. Um, district attorney is a huge and demanding new chapter that you are pursuing. Why? Well, I see a need to step up and serve. After being in the district attorney's office, and then working as a judge, most recently three and a half years in the dependency court, seeing what's happened at ground zero with our children and our families here in L.A. County. I uh, was asked by a variety of individuals in the community, and I frankly prayed on this issue for some period of time with my pastor at my church at Ward AME, and I came to the decision that this is what I needed to do, uh, not for myself necessarily, but on behalf of the uh, residents of the County of Los Angeles, sitting in the dependency court, which is the foster care court, which mostly serves children and families of color. I just felt that it was, there was an, I had an obligation because of my personal experience as a domestic violence survivor, longtime deputy district attorney, and now as a judge, to see what I could do to help further uh, my use my experience for the benefit of others. This is not about me. I'm on an unpaid leave of absence. I got my last paycheck in October for $1.11. So I don't even think I can get a cup of senior coffee over at the local McDonald's with that. <laughs> but I was asked to do this. And so that's why I'm humbly and gratefully uh, running. And I'm asking for the support of your listeners. Yeah, you've, you've you know been in juvenile dependency court and even in the DA's office um, worked on uh, criminal cases, you know, that intersect with that space. Clearly here in L.A. County, we got a problem with how we deal with juvenile offenders. I mean, we now, the, you know, the state has ordered these ju juvenile halls to be vacated or upgraded. Um, and it, it seems like a real dilemma for us. You um, reject a lot of the policies of uh, our current district attorney, George Gascon, um, 
tell me what you would do differently when it comes to youth offenders. Well, there's some concerns that I have about youthful offenders. For one thing, they're being used as pawns by the adults. And many of these uh, young children are impressionable. Uh, We had that takeover robbery with that street takeover situation. I believe the young man was 13 years old. These children are being put in harm's way by older adults that are using these children as pawns. These children are also being used to uh, go in and commit many of these retail organized thefts, which are actually robberies. Not only are the uh, kids in harm's way, but so are the customers, the business owners, everything else. That is of a great concern to me. However, on the older spectrum, when you have uh, young people that are 17 years old that know right from wrong, that know better, then we're going to have to take a harder look at some of these young people. What has gone wrong? What has happened in the system? Uh, Where is the family? You know, the question I have when I heard about that 13-year-old was where were his parents or his grandparents? Who was supervising this young person? And that really concerns me. And after sitting in the dependency court for three and a half years and being in the criminal justice system for 35, we're having a societal breakdown, and it's concerning, and we're now seeing the effects of that. The family has broken down, and people don't go to church anymore, and people are not going to school, and it's just a very, it's a, it's a great concern to me to see what's happening with our young people. So when you talk about, I mean, you're a mom, so you know, I'm sure you track yeah. the science on the teenage brain, even though 17 and 18 are older teenagers, they're still children, and their brains are not fully developed, and th- their choices, you know, are, what the science tells us is their choices are impacted based on that. Do you think those folks should be tried as adults? Should they be treated? Should children be treated as adults by the system? I think on a rare and special occasion, we have to take a hard look at that. As a blanket policy, I would say, no, we're not going to treat children as adults. But if there's a particularly egregious or heinous crime that we need to take a look at, then we're going to have to take a look at that. I understand the science where it talks about that children's brains are not formed fully. I get that until, what, 24, 25 years old. However, I also believe that the science is just not the complete answer. This is a complex social issue. It revolves around issues involving family, cultural and social and political mores. And we have to look at this from multiple uh, lenses and not just one lens of data and science. That's how I look at this. But we have to look at this on an individualized, particularized, um, case-by-case basis, not a blanket policy. That's one of the big issues I have with the current district attorney is the blanket policies when I really believe that justice should be meted out individually and particularly on each and every individual that might happen to come find themselves before the court, just like I did in dependency court. When I had children and moms and families, I had to give them individualized attention to make sure that their needs were being best served along with the interest of the community. When when uh, I've had this conversation with a couple of other candidates for district attorney about blanket policies, and it seems that when you talk about the specific concerns of African-American voters um, and residents yeah. of the county. We have these policies that, uh, that whether they're, quali- you know, categorized as blanket or not, end up disproportionately harming black people. 
Um, and yet they uh, like like enhancements, for example, which are disproportionately used against black people. And is that a blanket policy? Would you consider that a blanket policy? That's something that be, needs to be removed. And if it's not, how do you address that racial disparity in the application of these uh, policies, tools, whatever you want to call them? Well, this is what concerns me. When we have blanket policies, uh, like I said, we have to have individualized and particularized view of each and every case that comes in. And I understand the argument that there's racial disparities, but what I also look at is that also racial disparities in who's being victimized. Black women, African-American women, women I go to church to, women I work with, women in my court, they are disproportionately affected by many of the crimes that are being perpetrated. They are way overrepresented in the crime victim category whether a gun is used or whether it's a gang case, that's irrelevant. Just talking boots on the ground day to day, I'm very concerned about what I perceive to be mass victimization in the communities of color. I have many friends with businesses in Compton and Carson and Inglewood, and there's a lot of crime going on that's not only impacting them personally, but their businesses, etc. So what I'm concerned about is not only taking a, a look at enhancements, be it gun or gang or whatever it is, but also who's on the other side of that? Who's being victimized? Who's being targeted? We need to give equal justice to that individual. We have to look at the suspect and we have to look at the victim. And one of the things that makes my candidacy unique is because I'm no longer, I left the district attorney's office seven years ago. I had to take off, if you will, Ms. Prima, the prosecutorial blinders, because when you're a judge and you put on the black robe, you have to look at the criminal justice system in the courtroom from an, uh, a, an overarching view. I had to make sure that there was a defendant in my court, that his or her rights were scrupulously maintained and upheld, and there were no constitutional violations. If I had a parent whose child had been removed from them, I had to make sure that they were getting their day in court, that they were being heard. And that's my experience being a judge, that's what we have to look at, is the overarching view. We have to weigh and balance the competing interests. When you're a prosecutor, all you do is go in on behalf of the people and you advocate for the victim. But when you're a judge, you have to make sure that the defendant's rights or the parent's rights are also scrupulously maintained and upheld and are not being violated. And that's why I'm a unique candidate in this race, and I have that perspective and worldview, if you will. Judge Deborah Archuleta would like to be the next district attorney for L.A. County, and of course, voting is on now. We'll continue our conversation with her when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Your ancestors' favorite radio station, radio station, and your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right now, right now, it is election season, and we're speaking with uh, one of the candidates to be Los Angeles County uh, District Attorney. She spent the past seven years serving the County of Los Angeles as an elected Superior Court judge, where she's handled a variety of criminal cases, including felonies, misdemeanors, traffic violations, and jury trials. She. Uh, is now on leave to run for DA. Prior to that, she was a prosecutor, uh, deputy district attorney. 
Judge Deborah Archuleta, and we we were talking about this idea of blanket policy, something that you said that you um, reject, that people need individual attention and um, uh, custom kind of solutions. Is Do you consider the death penalty to be a blanket policy? I do not. The death penalty is uh, what the voters at this time in the state of California have consistently voted to keep as a penalty in place. In the district attorney's office, there is what's called a special circumstances committee. And in this committee, there's approximately 20 people that sit there that have the most experience in the office. When the decision is made to seek the death penalty, it is uh, usually a group decision. Ultimately, the district attorney has to sign off on it. But then the case is tried to a jury of 12 members of the community. The jury is the one ultimately that decides the penalty. The district attorney may or may not ask for it. I believe in times past we have overused the death penalty. And certainly when I'm elected, it will be used very, very sparingly. For example, I could see a scenario potentially where we have a mass shooting at an elementary school or a high school where uh, children, teachers, administrators, are brutally gunned down, it would only be used in a very rare and extreme uh, situation. There is a moratorium here in the state. We're not carrying out these penalties. But when you are the district attorney, you have to raise your right hand to take an oath to uphold and follow the law. And that is the law as it is currently written. We can't pick and choose which laws we choose to enforce or not enforce. And if that is what the voters at this point in time have asked for, then that's my obligation as the next district attorney to follow the law. Mm. But this will not be used um, uh, very often. It's, it's, it's the penalty of last resort, and ultimately it's the jury that makes that decision. But again, when you, when you talk about, but again, when you talk about the death penalty, this is a place where there's glaring disparity, where the, um, the use of the death penalty against African Americans in this country is incredibly disproportional and I don't yes how do you address that if you're going to use it sparingly but it's always black people it's still a problem well I look I agree with you uh, I've read several books on this subject I'm very well versed in the racial disparities and the inequality that's gone on uh, since the beginning of our country's founding up until and including uh, today uh, we can't uh, racialize if you will uh, the death penalty, but obviously that is one of the factors that would have to be assessed on a case-by-case basis. I will tell you, I was recently, just last week, endorsed by the Honorable uh, Diane Watson. She's endorsed my candidacy for the district attorney, and I, I had a discussion with her, and these, this was one of the uh, topics that we discussed amongst other uh, issues that are facing challenges within the African-American community. So I share your concern not only for African-American community, but for other communities of color. Mm. And that's why this needs a very measured approach and a very steady hand. But I'm not going to have a blanket policy for any area of the law, be it trying juveniles, be it trying death penalty cases, etc. We need to have individualized and particularized justice. And I'm very aware of... Uh, Sorry about that. <laughs> Technical history. difficulty, yeah and the disproportionate use and misuse of the death penalty and harsh sentences 
particularly for those in the African-American community. You mentioned uh, endorsement by Diane Watson, um, the former congresswoman. Do you want to mention any other endorsements? Well, I have a variety of endorsements, and uh, I'm proud of the endorsements. I have some political endorsements. Uh, uh, Mayor Roberto Gonzalez from uh, Azusa, uh, Mayor Albert Ambries from Irwindale. I've also been recommended by the L.A. Police Department. I've been endorsed by Senator Bob Archuleta. I, I'm not touting endorsement so much as I am. I want commitment and buy-in from the community. I've been endorsed by my pastor, Reverend John Cager, formerly of Ward A&E, where I've been a member for 10 years. Uh, I've not been endorsed by NASIA, the National Association for Equal Justice in America, because they're a nonprofit. But I've been an active member of their group for over 10 years now. So uh, the endorsements are great, but I really, my focus is on community engagement and community involvement. If I'm going to, I'm planning on having monthly meetings where if I have LAPD in the room, well, I want someone uh, from the Small Business Association. I want someone from the African American community. I want someone from uh, reform and rehabilitation uh, groups. I want to have a variety of stakeholders at my table in the district attorney's office over Subway sandwiches and Diet Cokes, because there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and we need a collective effort to solve these issues. I'm not going to stay in my silo and in my office up there on the 12th floor. I need to be out in the community working and talking with the people. You say that, you know, that as a DA, you take, as a prosecutor, you take an oath and you say, you know, you're going to uphold the law. Um, but many of the yes. prosecutors inside the district attorney's office now are not upholding the will of the voters because they are uh, not following the instructions or the policies of their boss, D.A. George Gascon, which the people overwhelmingly voted in on a reform agenda. Is that not part of yes. that oath? Like, if, if I'm a deputy DA, don't aren't I supposed to fulfill the will of the people and follow the policies of the leader of that office, which at this time is, is DA George Gascon? Well, that's what they are doing, and that is why, sadly, the office has lost approximately 20 to 25% of the attorneys the staff have left. I mean, but many are they, suing, they're refusing, to, they're refusing to follow the policies. There's a lot of they are. resistance to it. I will yeah. tell you, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. Every single DA in this race is suing the district attorney, and ultimately they are seeking compensation from we, the taxpayers, to pay for their alleged employment grievances. We've all had bad bosses. We've all needed to make a change. We've all asked for a change of assignment. But we all Every have to do our DA job until we get our assignment changed, and, and many are not. I mean, if I don't want to do what Tavis tells me, I can hit the door. This is, you know, but it's different when well, you're, you're, you know in a position like well, DA? Well, it is and it isn't. Look, there's obviously a disconnect between Gascon and his district attorneys. Many are leaving. Many are suing. I hear from close friends that are still in the office that the office is in chaos. But that does not serve the interests of the people and public safety. The oath is to uphold the law, not follow the, the directives and the ideology of George Gascon. And that's wherein lies the rub. So, you know, Gascon is not polling well. Uh, 
for the last several months. He is vulnerable as the, the incumbent. That's why so many people are in the race. And we'll see what's going to happen. The direction and the future of public safety is at risk. We are not safer now than we were three years ago, and many members of the African-American community and the working-class communities and the Latino community feel that way. So that's why we'll put it up to the voters to see if they want to change in direction and leadership in the district attorney's office. You famously if they don't, oh, then sorry. We, will, we will continue to uh, plow ahead. Yes, ma'am. You famously said in a debate that you feel 0% safe now. Um and, and and the numbers do seem to be trending down in, in a lot of violent crimes. How do you, and, and the same is true for voters, by the way. We did a, a recent public polling, uh, this radio station, and found the same thing. But what do you, yeah. how do you attribute that gap in, you know, our, the reality versus um, the feeling and what do we do about it? Well, murders are down, thankfully. Murders are down. And that is trending down. But as I pointed out in the Empowerment Congress debate, according to Rob Bonta, who's the attorney general, the top law enforcement official in the state of California, many crimes are up, theft, property, robbery, some assaults. There's a lot of crime that is not being reported. People feel vulnerable now in a way that they never did before. Even your polling indicates that. So despite the fact that murders are down, there's a lot of serious and violent assaultive crimes that are up. It's borne out in the statistics by the Attorney General. I referred to those during the Empowerment Congress debate. Those were the current statistics. But the feeling of fear and unease has permeated everyone's psyche. You know, sadly, Ms. DePrima, it used to be that the crime was in the South and the East. Well, now, because it's no longer isolated to those neighborhoods, people are finally after 20, 30, 40, 50 years, sitting up and taking notice. Mm. And it's about time because we, communities of color and working class communities have been living with a lot of this for a long period of time. We got to leave it there. Uh, Judge, uh, Honorable Judge Deborah Archuleta, Judge uh, DA4DA.com, Judge DA4DA.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. KBLA Talk 1580.